Well, I, I feel like I have a question that might get a universal consensus, which is, uh, who wants to live a good life? I, I don't think many of us are like, ah, I don't want anything to do with a good life. Uh, but you might find yourself on different routes of that journey. Uh, you might feel like you've been trying everything that you can and your life seems to be falling apart and you just can't hold everything together. And if that's you, you were meant to be here today. And, and you might feel like you've got everything figured out, things have been great, and you're so excited about what God is doing in your life, but there's still room for growth. There's still more that can come. There's still more possibility. And there's a reason you're here today. And so we are working through a, a sermon series this summer with real questions from the community. What are the real faith questions about God, about church, about the Bible that we are all wrestling with? And today's question works really well with last week. Last week, we talked about the problem of evil. Uh, if you ask people for faith questions, you will always get versions of, what about all the bad stuff? How do we make sense of that? And so this question today was, well, if following God doesn't mean we're going to avoid harm or bad things or pain, well, what does God's goodness actually mean for me then? Because I, I kind of just take a good life of just, please don't give me any of the bad stuff. Can I, can I avoid all of that? But what does God's goodness actually mean if, if it's not an avoidance of those things? And so that's the question we are stepping into today is what does it mean for God to be good to us. And so I want to read for us a text from Psalm 73 uh, that the psalmist is going to voice this out loud for us. So Psalm 73, and I'm going to read the first part of the psalm, verses 1 through 14. Truly, God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled. My steps have nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pain. Their bodies are, are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Give you a little reminder that different culture uh, their eyes, that they're so wealthy, they have all this food that they're, even their eyes are swelling out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues range over the earth. Therefore, people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Such are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and am punished every morning. We'll pause there with our psalmist. The psalmist looks out in the world and is like, hey, none of this makes sense. I've been trying to live as well as I can. Nothing seems to be working out. These other people are clearly mis disobeying God. They're, not, they're following their, after themselves. They're doing their own stuff. And everything seems to be going well for them. God, what's going on? And you might have wondered those things for yourself. Maybe on the pursuit of a good life, you've tried to run after God. And you've tried by working really hard. Some of us in our culture especially are workaholics. We we want to work hard to show that we are worth something. If I just work a little bit harder, I'll get the promotion, I'll, I'll get the outcomes that I want, and then 
I'll get to sit back and look at my life and look at, look at what I've done. And we work hard and we work hard, but our working doesn't always get us the results that we want. Uh, it's Father's Day and I, I'm reminded, I, I lost my dad as a, as a nine-year-old and um, my family moved all over. And because of that, I always have to explain my name's Dallas and I'm from Texas, but I was not born there. Uh, the name had nothing to do with it, but my family moved all over. And they moved all over because my dad was a retail store manager. And every time they would open a new branch, you get sent to the next city and the next city. So they went up to Sioux City, Iowa. They were in Orlando, Florida, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Mississippi, and Texas, all over. Um, but sometime around the time my dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and uh, lived three months after that, uh, he was laid off along with some other more veteran workers at the business. It, it doesn't matter how faithful you are. Business decisions are going to get made. Layoffs happen. Economies tank. And all of that work, you're like, well, what, what, where do I get to see the joys of it, the abundance of it? How do I hold on to that? And so some of us, we, we hope for the good life through our work and it just fails us. For some of us, we think, well, maybe if I can eat really healthy, I can go work out enough and maybe I, I'll feel good and that'll make sure I have my best life. And that might work until suddenly you get a health diagnosis you weren't expecting. And some things outside of your control with your health take over. And suddenly all of that investment into your, your well-being, which is great. It's great to be healthy. Um, but you can't control your body fully. And sometimes we are made aware of that. Sometimes we, we hope to have a good life by picking the right partners on that journey. Uh, and so I know that created a lot of stress in a lot of people's lives of, uh, you know, is this person, what's my life going to look like if I were to end up with them? And, and you have one imagination and then suddenly a relationship falls apart. A person grows into someone you didn't expect them to be. And, and suddenly, what is goodness now for my life? Uh, some of us would think, well, maybe if I can just grow my mind, if I can get, learn some new things, I go to school, I get an extra training. And then the thing you went to school for, the thing you got training for comes, becomes outdated. And suddenly all of those skills, you're like, oh, wait, how do I apply it to the next situation? And you're like, I got to start this process over again. But there's so many different variations of, I just want to have a good life. How do I have a good life? And they can just slip out of our fingers. And then we are left wondering, well, what do we do now? And for many people, church can also be in this category of something you're like, well, if I go to church, if I can check that box, if I do enough kind of Bible studies, if I go to enough groups, if I do enough service project, well, maybe then God will just bless me and I get to have the life that I hope for, if I can just check that box. But even with good intentions, you can, you can do that faithfully and rightfully and be like the psalmist and say, wait a minute, God, why is my life not turning out the way that I wanted to? And this psalm is, is a part of, the psalms are split into five books. This is the beginning psalm of the third book, and it's one that begins uh, and starts kind of towards exile. By the end of the psalms, they're, they're fully in exile as a community. And it's a, a trajectory of, of where did God go? Where did we mess it up? Where is God in the midst of my broken life as a person, as a community? And so you could imagine the people of Israel living in exile in Babylon saying, wait, why are these Babylonians doing so well? 
Why are they the store owners? Why are they the wealthy? Why are they controlling us? God, what's wrong with this situation? How do we fix it? How do I get a good life? And so it is in the midst of that pleading that the psalmist comes to some realizations. So I want to read to you a pivot in the psalm, verses 15 through 20. The psalmist writes, If I had said, I will talk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Truly, you've set them in slippery places. You've, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. On awakening, you despise their phantoms. Now, uh, the Psalms give a lot of vivid language. And so uh, there's often some harshness of, of like, I know they're wrong, I'm right. And some of that despair language and destruction and terrors of some of that hits us a little, little bit of a funny way sometimes. But I want us to think about what it is to feel like the world is upside down. Those who commit injustices, who treat people wrong, who hoard everything for themselves, uh, that suddenly they're the ones in power. You have these people who uh, can just decide, you know what, here's a medicine people need and it's easy to make, it costs nothing, but let's just skyrocket that price 5,000% because I can. And you're like, wait, there's no ramifications. You just get to do that. You just get to make that decision and hurt people's lives. We think about people who are given in positions of authority and power and use that to abuse it. People who are supposed to maintain justice, who create injustice. All the people who should know differently and who use their powers for evil, for wickedness, for corruption. And then I think it's easy to see when you start thinking about, well, when this goes wrong, like, of course your heart cries out of like, something should set this right. And so in the middle of the psalmist crying out, he's realizing some things that he needs to uh, see differently. And so he has to fix some misconceptions in his mind before he can see God in a new light. And so in worship, is the moment that he sees things differently. And I think that's a beautiful thing to hope for worship, that it's a place where you come together and you are trying to seek after God and whatever's going on in your life, you can reorient your imagination to God's imagination for the world. No matter what people say about who you are and what you can or can't do, what is it to come before God and worship God and realize that there's something greater, something more out there. And the something more for the psalmist is fixing a few misconceptions. The first misconception that the psalmist has to fix is um, comparison will uh, point us to a better life. Uh, maybe if I look at the other person and I see something that I need and, and if I go get that thing, it'll make my life better. Like I can scroll through social media and I can see some things of like, oh, I didn't realize I wanted that or needed that, but now I know I've got some direction for my life. My life will be better once I have that thing. That misconception leads down a lot of dark places. Jealousy is a scam. Jealousy is a scam that defrauds you of your own contentment and peace. We are constantly bombarded by jealousy. 
the psalmist is looking at all these people that has all of these things going right for them in his opinion. It's like, man, I want that life. I want that life. I want that life, God. When we are jealous, we are falling prey to a scam. It's like you've been getting robocalled. You know, those annoying calls that never stop and are trying to scam you. Well, if you could imagine your phone when you get the robocall, it says jealousy. We keep answering the phone. Say, wait, what do I want? Oh, I do want that. Let me give my heart over to finding how do I appease this desire, this little jealous goal that I've got. And when we try to go down that route, we end up falling into traps because either we don't get it and we're sad and disappointed, or we do get it and we're sad and disappointed that it didn't resolve the things that we needed in life. And so uh, I was thinking about like the jealousy, the things that you could imagine that you dream for, that you hope for. And I was thinking about uh, a song that I often heard my dad sing as a kid. My dad loved to uh, sing the lyrics of Fiddler on the Roof, uh, If I Were a Rich Man. If you know the play, it's a play about a a Jewish father who has uh, five daughters and each daughter keeps marrying someone further out of the family kind of uh, boundaries of what's acceptable. Someone who wants to marry someone that's not being match made for them, someone who's uh, a radical, someone who's uh, not a Jew. And so it's this father having to deal with all of this change in his life and the growing world that's, that's around him. And in the midst of it, he has this song, if I were a rich man, and he has all of these things about, if I was rich, what would I want? What would I really want in life? And his list of things are things like, I'd love a big giant house. You know, if I had a big tall house uh, and great staircases and a great roof and floors. And, and you know what, if I have a yard, I could have all these animals. I can have like animals that you could eat. That's part of it. <laughs> uh, turkeys and chicks and geese and ducks. And, and, and you know, if I was rich, I, my wife, we'd, we'd have all these servants and she could order them around to our heart's delight. We'd have all these great feasts. And, and wouldn't it just be great if I had a small fortune? I'm not asking for a big fortune, God, just just a little fortune, please. And we, we have all of these things that we want, that we need in our opinions, but why do we need them? What's great in that song is it keeps betraying that he doesn't actually want the thing. He wants the thing that is signified by having those things. He wants a big house with a, has a stairway that goes up and it doesn't do anything just for show. Uh, it doesn't go anywhere. I just want a really cool stairway. Wouldn't that be fun? And all those animals out front, what does he want from them? He wants them to squawk loud, squawking as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. And all of these things are just, I want the status symbol of these things. And I just want to be above somebody else. I want to be elevated above somebody else. And so we, we live our lives jealous of everybody. We want to be the person that other people are jealous of. And that creates a cycle of pain and frustration. And so if you've ever posted on social media and you thought, I bet people wish they were here right now on that picture, I bet they wish they had this thing, this vehicle, this house, whatever of like, there's different motivations for sharing your celebrations. But sometimes it's, I just, I want people to be jealous of me. I want that one moment where I'm not jealous of somebody else. So we have to be willing to give up that jealousy of the other person. And part of giving that jealousy up is the realization for the psalmist that maybe the world isn't exactly how I think it is. Maybe I think that they're blessed, but they're actually on a path towards destruction, that 
it's all going to fall apart. It looks great right now, but if you give it some more time, you'll see this path is going to fail them. And so uh, all the power they think they have, one day it'll be gone. All of uh, the wealth, well, one day it'll be gone. And so can you trust that God's timeline of justice and what is right eventually bends towards uh, being visibly understood and, ex- and visible to us and enjoyed by us? And so can we give up being jealous of those people around us? And if we can do that, we can turn our eyes away from everybody else in the right direction. And so I want to read for you how he changes his perspective in the psalm. In verse 21, it says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you want to live a good life, it begins by making God the primary quest. If God is your primary quest, your primary goal, your primary quest and search, uh, other things are going to come alongside of that. But there's something in in video games, if anybody's ever played uh, modern video games, uh, there's a lot of open world video games that are created where they give you a giant sandbox to play in. And sometimes that's really frustrating because you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? And it feels too much like real life when you're like, wait, there's too many options. Please dictate where I'm supposed to go in this game. But in this open world game, you have the main quest. And oftentimes they give you little graphical like color cues to let you know. And then everything else is side quests. You can keep doing side quests or you can go down the main quest. And in, uh, in these games, you have to make that decision of which way you want to go. And in the midst of that, uh, there's a, a fun, big, giant game that came out recently uh, in the last year or so, God of War Ragnarok, in which they made the side characters of the story ridicule you because as you would go look for treasure, you'd have side characters go, oh, there he goes again. What? We're trying to save the world. What, what are you doing? Are you, you're looking for another trinket. You're looking for another prize. You're looking for another map piece. Or, uh, and, and so it was funny. It was like kind of mocking you. That the stakes of the game is that the world is at stake and yet you're looking to see if you can find another treasure chest. But there's a, a way in which we all are on that same predicament. We all keep thinking, oh, there's something shiny. Maybe I should go figure out what that is around the corner. Instead of making God the main quest of, of walking towards God and what God is calling you to, uh, of walking with God. And I love that the psalmist in the story says that he realized he had been making a bunch of mistakes. He calls himself a brute character. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. But he says he realizes that God was walking him by the hand and by the right hand, which I think is interesting. Because I feel like in that culture, and even today, there's still more right-handed people of, of well, if God's holding my right hand, I'm not thinking I can do this on my own. I'm not going to feel like I'm, I'm the one that's going to take over and make, make this happen for myself but I'm going to give some trust over to God and walk with God and trust that God will take me where I need to go. 
whatever side quests we end up trying to pursue ultimately will never be as valuable as what we go with God to. And so what is it that God has for that main quest? It is not self-focused for God. Uh, if we start following after the jealousy of other people who have all the f fun things in life, they are going to make all of the quests be about them. But the picture of God is always one of goodness. Think about Genesis 1. God created the world to be good, not just good, but very good. And so what is it to trust that when we walk with God, we are on a good quest? One that won't just be good for God, one that just won't be good just for me, but for all of us. So it's not pitting us against each other, but, but that we all might be in right harmony and connection to each other. And so what is it to say yes to the quest that God has for your life? And God is good. He leads you by, by good pastures and good streams. So it's filled with those fun little treasure chests of, I didn't realize that was going to happen to me today. Uh, the kind of, you found money in your pocket when you got it out of the laundry. Those moments of like, wow, I, I did not expect this blessing today. There's moments of the hard work that you've done with God and it turns out and then there'll be blessings and joys. But if we put our focus only on those things and miss God, we miss the main story of all of the universe. And so it's at the end of this psalm that we get to this closing thought in verse 27. Indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all of your works. And so at the end of the psalm, the psalmist is able to get to the spot where he says, well, what is it to be good? I love that the word good only shows up in the first verse of the psalm and the last verse. And in the first verse, he's like, hey, I know you're good to Israel, but then he's going to start talking about all of the, the money and the things and the power and the honor and the prestige. But goodness looks different at the end of the psalm. At the end of the psalm, it is good to be near God because he's my refuge. It's good to be near God because he's close. What if a good life is about relationships instead of the things, the commodities, the endpoints? What if it's the journey, not the destination? What if it's the communion, not the commodity? And so the psalmist gets to the spot where he can say, you know, what is good? It's not about wherever I end up necessarily. It's, it's just good to be with you, God. And can you trust that journey? Can you trust that relationship? And so the whole journey is one of goodness. And I know there's a lot of people who like to make the goodness of God be simply just the afterlife, just the kind of, uh, uh, you're not experiencing it now, but it'll be later. But what if the whole journey of faith is appreciating God in the midst of the good times and the bad times? And so I think about, well, what's a good marriage? You say in vows and sickness and in health for richer and for poorer. Uh, and, but I think when we say, well, a good marriage would be we had good health and we were richer instead of poorer. And you want to pick all of the contexts that feel better. But a good marriage is one that the relationship is the focus, not the circumstances. It's about cultivating that closeness, that proximity, not 
well, what's the bank account at? What's the retirement age at? What's, where's my house? Did they get the job title? All of that kind of thing. I, the marriage is about the relationship, not the circumstances. The same is true for parenting. You might think, well, who's a good parent? Is it that you're waiting you know, 20, 30 years as a parent to see what your kid does one day? Well, let's see what their job title gets to be. Let's see where they choose to go on vacations. Let's see how often uh, you know, they get the, the accolades, the awards, the prizes. Is being a good parent it's about the circumstances of that child. Did they win the games you were hoping to? Did they get into the right school? I know it's fun in our, in our context. Did they go to the right university that's 30 to 40 minutes away from us? Ah, oh, I must not have been a good parent. They chose the wrong one. But is parenting about all those outcomes, all of those circumstances? Or is it about being able to appreciate the person? No matter what happens, no matter where life's journeys take you, but just enjoying the journey as a parent. And, and I want to say for those who have had uh, difficult relationships, difficult family lives, that one of the great things of faith is that when we talk in church, like Paul used the language about brothers and sisters, like the idea of the church was not meant to be like a hierarchical community where certain people are more elevated than others, but that we are a family. And so you might not have the family lives that you desire, but I sure hope that you find the safety and the community of God's faithful to cultivate healthier relationships, to find some people who can be brothers and sisters, to find some people of faith who have been do doing this a little bit longer, who can be like a father or a mother, uh, to find those, those young people that maybe you might be able to mentor and be a parent to. Uh, we all have the opportunity to make those choices most of the time with our family lives, we don't get to choose them very much. They kind of happen around us. But the church is a space where you get to try to invest in each other on that journey with God. And so what is a good faith? A good faith is not the circumstances. It's not all of the easy little markers that you could point out to and say, oh, that's definitely, that person's a good faithful person. Uh, that's, you know, the whole point of the book of Job you can't make that easy claim. Their life is a mess, therefore they've been bad. Or their life is awesome, they must have been great. There's different circumstances. But a good faith is that no matter whether you're in the highs or the lows, you feel the goodness of God. That God's holding you by the hand and he's walking with you in that. And for me, you know, Father's Day is a tough day because I did not spend very many Father's Days with my dad. Uh, but part of my faith journey was getting to a spot where I realized God was walking with me through those pains and that God can be upset about the pains of the world. God can cry with you. God can be uh, frustrated with you, but God can also rejoice with you. That it's okay that there are good days too. When you're in the midst of depression and despair, it can feel like it's not okay to have a good day, to be joyful about some things. But in the painful lows and in the joyful highs, God wants to be with you and guide you on how to live this world throughout whether the circumstances are good or bad. And so what is God's goodness to us? God's goodness is that on your worst day, God's right there by you, ready to walk with you. On your best day, God's still right there with you, 
ready to walk with you. We have different things to learn on those days. But the goodness of God is there's nothing you can do that pushes God away from you. God is always ready to embrace you, to walk with you on the journey forward. And so if you've been running away from God, you've been wandering uh, far from God, uh, this is a wonderful time to come back home to God who's already waiting for you like the, the, the prodigal son's father ready to embrace you. If you've been saying yes to God and you feel like you've been good with God, but you just want to go deeper, grow more, it's a perfect time to ask God, say, God, make you, me aware of you even more. I want to walk with you. I want to see how you see the world. And how should we live this life of faith? We don't need to live it alone. We don't have to live it separated. We can do this together. And so my, my heart's a desire for you is that not only would you walk with God, but you would walk with some other people because you're going to have some rough days and you're going to need some people to lift you up. And you're going to have some really high days where you're going to need some people to say, hey, let's, let's tone it down just a little bit. We're getting a little proud of ourselves here. We need those people around us to help us that no matter our context, no matter our circumstances, how to live a good life with God. And so I appreciate that as a community, uh, I think we get to visibly live a good life every week. It's not just with worship on Sundays, but every Wednesday night, it's, we, we're throwing a party that we're inviting anybody who wants to show up to and have a meal. Uh, the name is Cafe Connection. And I think the cafe part is the part people think about. Uh, it's going to be food, doesn't cost anything. It's, you know, uh, you know, that free experience. But the connection part, is a really important part of that experience. Uh, what is it to walk into a space that even if I don't have anybody to go with me, you know, I'm gonna have a host who welcomes me and makes me feel like I matter today. And when I sit down, I'm gonna have a server who's gonna give me attention, who's going to be uh, thoughtful, is going to cheer me up, be able to listen when I have pains and I'm gonna talk about what's going on in life. Uh, what is it to, to realize that there are tables around you of other people who are also hoping to find friends and hoping to uh, support one another, encourage one another. That a part of the good life is not just about coming to God and worship, but coming to each other and bringing God's love and care to one another. And so we can't do that second part, especially on our own. We have to do that together. And so my encouragement, if you're trying to seek a good life, Make God that primary quest. And as you're going towards God, you're going to see the folks around you, uh, some who are going in different directions. But you'll have those encounters with God and you'll be able to point people to a God who loves them no matter their circumstances. And that's good news. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you today asking that you might just shape our our vision of our current circumstances. Lord, help us to see where you're at in the midst of whether there be pains or joys. Lord, help us to celebrate the good things in our life. Help us to uh, be able to bring to you our frustrations when we are struggling and when we have pains. And Lord, I just ask that we might be faithful to you, that we might cling to you no matter what is going on in life. Lord, I ask that you might just uh, encourage those of us here that we might step up for each other, 
If there are some people who need encouragement, let us be voices of that. But there are people who need uh, to be reminded of how much they are loved. There are people who need to be celebrated and appreciated. Lord, help us to be uh, not only seeing the way you see, but to vocalize those things and to use our hands and feet to love one another. Lord, I ask that you might just move us, not just individually, but as a community, that we might more appreciate the goodness of your love and your faithfulness. Lord, today I just ask that it might be a day where we get to rejoice that you're a good father, that you have such powerful uh, dreams for this universe and for us. Lord, we long to see this world receive that announcement from your voice that it is not just good, but very good. We long to enjoy the fruits of it. We long to live and right loving relationship with you and each other. Move on us today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.